Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya. That's Creole for something extra. Mutants, monsters, monarchs, and the beloved superheroes who battle them populate the popular Marvel Universe. Take a listen to some of Marvel's superheroes, including Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Black Panther, and Captain America. I am Iron Man. We're the Guardians of the Galaxy. I've lived a lot of lives. I thought I could change my name. Start a new life. These days, that fictional comic book universe draws fans beyond the faithful comic book nerds. Millions of enthusiasts eagerly follow the creative storytelling, which often inspires more questions than answers. How did it all come to be? In his new book, All of the Marvels, A Journey to the Ends of the Biggest Story Ever Told, author Douglas Wolke unravels the hydra-headed history of the archival storylines and creator squabbles that have continued to shape the contemporary Marvel universe. He is uniquely qualified to take on the daunting task, having written about comic books, graphic novels, pop music, and technology for publications including the New York Times, Rolling Stone, the Washington Post, and Slate. He's also the author of the Eisner Award-winning book, Reading Comics. All of the Marvels is our November selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. And author Douglas Wolk joins me now from Portland, Oregon. Welcome to Under the Radar, Douglas Wolk. Thank you so much, Kelly. Good to be here. Well, I am delighted. (laughs) I read about the book and I just jumped right in. Now, you would think by my saying that, that I was a comic book expert and nerd. Not at all. So I want to begin this conversation by giving credit to my current colleague, Philip Martin, who's taken me to a few Marvel movies and been upset when storylines didn't add up. And my former colleague, Jason Tereski, who got me into the paper comics and appreciating all the numbers, everything, all the issues, as you so brilliantly explained in your book, All of the Marvels. So first of all, let's establish that Marvel is a huge universe beyond the storytelling of the heroes. It's now movies and TV shows, action figures, cartoons, video games, t-shirts, and other merchandise. So it's a lot. But the true comic book fan knows the stories, digs in, and follows all of the superheroes and how they came to be. And you are one. Tell me how you personally became a fan of the Marvel Universe. I started reading comics when I was about nine or 10 years old. And I was actually a DC kid first. And, you know, at that age, there's two kinds of comics in the same way that you can say, you know, I like both kinds of music, country and Western. But uh, 
I picked up a few comics and started you know, trading them with the kid who lived across the street. And a few of them were these Marvel comics. It was Daredevil and the X-Men and they were confusing and they were dark and they were complicated. And I didn't know quite what was going on, but I really liked it. And then I discovered that there was a store down the street that sold nothing but comic books and got new ones every week. And then, you know, it was all downhill from there. But this is your book is so much beyond fandom. I mean, this is your work and you dedicated yourself to the task of unraveling the whole universe and telling us about it by reading 27,000 comics, over a half million pages. Now, this is the time period between 1961 to 2017. Why did you decide to do that? I was really curious to see what that gigantic 60-year story looked like as a story, because it all is really one big story. And it's not a story that it was ever meant for one person to read all of. It's not a story that was ever meant to be consumed in any order. The idea is that it's a story and you can go into it at any place and out of it at any place and explore little parts of it and little territories of it. And that's really the way that it's meant to be read for fun and for pleasure. But there's also the way that everything connects to everything else. And I really wanted to see what the whole thing looked like so I could be a guide to people who wanted to explore parts of it for themselves to see what parts they might be interested in. Now, explain your process, because I'm sure my listeners are going, 27,000 comics. What did he start 15 years ago? How'd you do it? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a lot. I did spend a couple of years reading all of it, but I was doing a few other things at the time, too. I didn't read in order. I grazed. I just had a giant spreadsheet of everything and read little bits here and there, read whatever I felt like reading on any given day. Some of them I read in paper form. Some of them I read on Marvel Unlimited, which is Marvel's kind of Netflixy, all-you-can-read service. They don't have everything, but they have a lot of things. There were some things I borrowed from other people. Like tracking down all the comics was not the hard part. The hard part was finding enough hours in the day to do all that reading. And gradually I crossed more and more things off my spreadsheet and I realized at some point that there were a few areas of it that I was just avoiding and was going to have to knuckle down and read at some point, which is how I ended up locking myself into an apartment for a week and a half with a case of protein drinks and 30 years worth of The Punisher. Oh, my God. So I want everybody to understand this is not a big old list, you know, where you get, though you could use your book as a reference point. I'm sure many people will, and I certainly will afterwards, that what you did was write a book about the stories and the storytelling. So your book is a story about the stories and the storytelling. And having read the whole entire, well, a lot of it anyway, the 27,000 comics, what's your most impressive takeaway from it that speaks to what the Marvel Universe is all about? I think it's probably just being so impressed by the way that hundreds and hundreds of writers and artists working over six decades, collaborated with each other directly and indirectly to build this enormous structure that is bigger than what any of them could have done individually, what any of them could have done even in a small combination, and at every moment reflects the world that made it and the world that it was born into. The comics of any given moment are about that moment. And if you read a whole bunch of them over time, you see the way that they reflect the way that culture and society have changed. 
So again, we are looking at the universe of Marvels, and I'd love you to read from your book explaining the universe and what what really that means when we talk about it. So in other words, it's it's not just a few mutants here and a few superheroes over here. There is a whole world. <laughs> the Marvel story is about exploration, about seeing secret worlds within the world we know and understanding possibilities of what we haven't yet experienced. And it's parallel serials and wildly divergent creative perspectives, even within a single serial, make that broader understanding possible. It's high adventure, slapstick comedy, soap opera, blood-spattered horror, tender character study, and political allegory, usually all in the same week. It encompasses magnificent craft and dumb hack work, and enduring the latter is sometimes helpful preparation for appreciating the former. It grew with its audience and then grew beyond successive generations of its tellers. In form and substance, it's a tribute to the astonishing powers of human imagination and to the way that human imaginations in concert with one another can do far more than they could individually. It's a tale that never ends for any of its characters, even in death. Those characters, and there are thousands of them, include some extraordinary ones in whose fantastic excesses you, as a reader, might potentially see parts of yourself or see what you might hope to become or fear becoming. On any page, you're likely to encounter someone like a computer science student who can talk to squirrels and his friends with an immortal planet-devouring god, or an android who saved the world 37 times, then moved to the suburbs of Washington, D.C. and built himself a family in a catastrophically failed attempt to be more human, or a vindictive, physically immense crime lord who has become the mayor of New York and whose arch enemy is the alter ego of the blind lawyer who serves as his deputy mayor, or a woman who discovered as a teenager that she could walk through walls, was briefly possessed by a version of herself from a dystopian future, trained as a ninja, later spent months trapped inside a gigantic bullet flying through the cosmos and is now a pirate captain, or a tree creature from another planet who makes remarkably expressive use of his three-word vocabulary. Marvel's shared universe schema offers an exceptionally fun way of thinking about ethical behavior that's more complicated than good guys and bad guys. That's my guest, Douglas Woke. His new book is All of the Marvels, A Journey to the Ends of the Biggest Story Ever Told. It is a comprehensive look at, well, all the Marvel comics. And it's our November selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. Now, you become a universe as your community where all the people in it maybe have interaction one day and then don't connect for many, many more years, but they do connect at some point and their stories overlap. That's what is made so interestingly clear in your book. Maybe people who have uh, followed comics for a long time knew that, but I didn't. And I found it so interesting when you go way back to the beginning, when, when those creators, the Jack Kirby's and Stan Lee were putting this together and turns out they sometimes really didn't know what they were doing, but often they had kind of a sketchy plan for how this would go on and on. Talk about that, if you will. Yeah, the Marvel Universe came together more or less by accident. It was a bunch of comics by the same people. I'm, the company that published you know, Fantastic Four and you know, Amazing Fantasy, the very earliest things that we think of as Marvel's comics, it wasn't even called Marvel Comics at the time. It didn't get that name until 1963. What it was was a few creators working very closely together on a whole bunch of different comics who thought it might be fun to, you know, 
there's a first issue of a new Spider-Man series. Let's have the Fantastic Four turn up in there. You know, let's make reference to something that's going on in another comic. Let's have Millie the model meet Linda Carter's student nurse. And gradually, these stories came together, and you started to see consequences from one part of the story happening in another part of the story. And characters and plots and subplots continuing and combining and braiding together. And it's always been the case that you don't have to read it all. You don't have to read all the parts of it. You don't have to read things in order. But if you read a few parts of it, you see how they fit together. It's very much like how the Marvel Cinematic Universe works now. There are all these movies. There are all these TV shows. They each pretty much stand entirely on their own. But if you watch a handful of them, or more than a handful, you see that there's a bigger picture that forms from all of them. Well, I would say that that's what sucks you in. That's what got me, because I didn't know pretty much any of these characters. Maybe, you know, some of the legacy ones that I would say everybody would know casually, like Spider-Man. And I, I will have to say, as a Black woman, it's kind of embarrassing that I don't think I knew Black Panther had been around forever and ever until he showed up when people started talking about him in the movie, first in the comic book drawn by Ta-Nehisi Coates, but then later in the movies. So there are foundation for many of these legacy characters that go way back, and they just evolve. The evolving, by the way, Douglas, has taken on something that was always there at the beginning, as I learned in your book, which was some uh, reflection of what was going on in the real world. So those original comic drawers, however clumsily they may have addressed it, were doing that, and now more so, it seems. Yeah, uh, it's wonderful to see how that's happening now, but it's been happening all the way along. You know, the origin of the Hulk, the gamma bomb that, you know, turns the scientist into a monster. It looks from a distance like, okay, it's about, you know, atomic fears in the Cold War in the 60s. And if you look a little more closely at it, it is specifically about the end of the International Atomic Testing Moratorium, which happened just a few months before Jack Kirby and Stan Lee created that character. We see that right up to the present day. We're seeing characters who look much more like the world around us than the almost totally monolithic like white dudes of a certain age that you got back in the 1960s we're seeing characters now like you know, i love the the new ms marvel kamala khan you know she is a teenage muslim pakistani american girl growing up in jersey city who gets these powers that change her body and have her body turning huge and small and stretchy all the time. And she has dreamed all her life of having the ability to do good. And now this thing has happened to her. And the question is, how is she going to fit in with her family, with her community, with her school, with the world at large? How can she do good within this context? Which means she's basically Peter Parker for the 2010s. Hmm. Wow. And I love the backstory about Shang-Chi. I'd never heard of this superhero and how he was drawn. He's Asian, of course. And if people haven't been paying attention, the Shang-Chi film about the character just exploded at the box office. It's really done gangbusters. It could be because it's a Marvel movie, period. But I think it was a particular interest in this story. So we've seen that. Hey, I was shocked by your and surprised by your chapter about the president's like the presidents of the United States oh, coming, yeah. coming in and out of the comic stories, that appears to be something that has always happened. 
Yeah, uh, you know, the Marvel stories always made a point of being set in something very much like our world. Our world made bigger and stranger and richer by science, by weirdness, by magic, mostly by science. Like science is kind of the driving force of the story. All the all the biggest heroes, all the biggest villains have PhDs. <laughs> but yeah, you know, presidents have always shown up. They've always been political. And superhero comics have been political all the way back to the beginning. If you look at the cover of the very first Captain America comic in 1940, he's punching out Hitler on the cover, which, okay, great, you know, World War II, punching out Hitler. The first Captain America story came out in December 1940, a year before Pearl Harbor, a year before the U.S. entered World War II. Captain America was created specifically as a political argument for the U.S. to get into World War II. It's so interesting that this is really a reflection of who we are as an American society in so many ways. Now, when I talk about what you have on the page here, first of all, it's lovely written and it's fun. And you have all this interesting, great background, as I've said. Gotta say, I love, love, love your footnotes. They're so (laughs) funny. I just have to give the listeners a couple of examples. Here's one. In the 1987 graphic novel Emperor Doom, he does indeed rule the world for a while, but finds that the paperwork involved with the job is too tedious for him to bear. I love that. (laughs) You have side eye going on, a little snark. Um, It's funny stuff in the the, uh, footnotes. It's not like the scholarly footnotes that other people may think about. Here's another one. The world in which the MCU movies take place is Earth 1999. The benighted superhuman humanless world in which you and I live is Earth 1218. Our universe was destroyed at some point in the course of the 2012-2015 storyline in New Avengers, see Chapter 18, but has apparently since been reconstructed, given that you're reading this. Love them. I just love those footnotes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You must have had fun doing that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so what do you think about the really huge success of the crossover into the movies in their recent incarnation? There have been some movies before. What has that done to make the Marvel universe even bigger or draw more fans if it has i love the mcu movies and tv shows i've really really been enjoying them and one of the things that i love most about them is that they are not faithful to the comics i am so glad they are not they treat the comics as just a gigantic supermarket that they can pick and choose anything they like from and cook up something that works as a movie instead of something that works as a comic different media different thing. I think you've seen, there's been some crossover of ideas from the movies that have shown up in comics or occasionally images from movies that have shown up in comics. I think there's been maybe some new audience reading them. I think they're reading them in different ways. There is the old school comic book audience that, you know, shows up every Wednesday at the store, buys their stack of 32 page pamphlets with 20 page stories in them. There are people who prefer to read them as books. There are people who prefer to read them digitally. There are people who don't necessarily want to follow the stories, but are absolutely fascinated by the imagery or the costumes and take ideas from the ways that the characters dress and the visual design of that. There are so many different ways to love and enjoy and appreciate and get pleasure out of the comics or the movies or the characters that they share. and. 
I, I'm so fond of all of them. Well, here's one that just recently came out. Didn't know about these people. This is a clip from Eternals, the latest Marvel movie. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the deviants. Now, I'm curious about your response to them. The big note from all the fans is that this apparently is the first movie to have a sex scene with the Marvel superheroes. I don't know why this is, but I guess Marvel is notorious, according to one fan that I read, writing about this for avoiding sex scenes. And this is the first one in the movie. Now, of course, I've increased viewership. (laughs) I know people will be running to do that. But uh, the legacy characters, as you mentioned in your book, never go away. They just come back in various incarnation. And here's the one that's coming in December. Here's a clip from Spider-Man No Way Home. I've just been thinking about how to fix all of this. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. I was wondering if maybe you could make it so that he never did. Be careful what you wish for, Parker. I have to say, you're a very detailed tracing of the Spider-Man story and evolution is really one of the things that makes your book so valuable. So by the time I get to this one in December, I'm going to have a better sense of you know, how Peter Parker, who he is and how he came to be at this point. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, the Spider-Man story, it, it is a coming of age story. It is a story about how does this kid who has lost everything, who's lost his father twice over, how is he going to grow up? How is he going to become an adult? And coming of age stories are stories that have an ending. And the Spider-Man story can't have an ending because you know, he has to go on forever because he's a super popular thing. And so it's become this question of how do you renew it? How do you keep him having to climb up again? And it's it's a bitsy spider. You know, he climbs up, he falls down, he loses everything, he has to start over. And at some point that gets harder to do because even though time goes by much more slowly within the Marvel comics as we see them than it does in the real world, at some point he's going to grow up. And that's where Miles Morales comes in. Miles, you may have seen in the movie, Into mm-hmm. the Spider-Verse. Yeah. He's an actual teenager. He's a kid. He's in a position where he has to figure out who he is and who he is going to become. And that's what Spider-Man really is. That's what Spider-Man is about. It's so fascinating. So a couple quick questions for you as we come to a close. Why is Marvel a universe and DC Comics is just a bunch of characters? Oh, DC is a universe, too. DC Comics has, they have their own sort of cinematic continuity, and their comics are all in a single world. They all coexist in a single world. The difference is that DC has kind of restarted a few times. They've said, okay, you know, we've gotten too complicated. We're just going to put a bow on all that, and we're going to start over, like, Superman. You know who Superman, Batman. You know who Batman is. And everything up to this point probably didn't happen. Marvel has never done that. Marvel's story has been going on continuously since the beginning. So it has that incredible weight and force of history behind it. And that can make it tricky to tell stories. It can also make it really powerful. It is a very, very powerful storytelling tool to have history and to have background and to have things from 20 or 30 or 60 years ago that reverberate into the present. And will the 
I think of the print comics, but they're not really, they're digital to some degree now, continue to be as popular as maybe the the movie and TV versions of the stories? The movie and TV versions have always had a bigger immediate audience than the comics versions. Comics are not dying. There's a joke within the comics world like, oh, yeah, comics are totally dying. Comics have been dying since 1938. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they don't go away. They persist. They find new audiences. They are very much in print because there's a long history of valuing print and valuing material objects within comics culture. They're also digital. They're all kinds of different forms. And really in the last 15 or 20 years, it's been the first time that all of that backstory, all of that history has been available to present day readers in some relatively convenient form. So it's all there and it's all there to be read. And please don't take after me. Don't read all of it. Never meant to be done that way. But if there's one thing all of the Marvels can do, it may be to be a guide to the parts you might like. I always ask uh, my authors this. What do you want readers to take away from all of the Marvels? I would love readers to get a sense of what's special about these comics, what's interesting about these comics, and what things about these comics might be interesting to them. Not necessarily the ones that I find special, but the ones that they might find special. Mm. And last question. Are you surprised that the the comics, the Marvel comics specifically, have become the stuff of pop culture on the page and on the screen? Sometimes I'm surprised by it. I When I started writing my chapter about Shang-Chi, I started by saying, like, yeah, there's never going to be a Shang-Chi movie. There's never going to be a Shang-Chi TV show. There's never going to be you know a Shang-Chi video game. And now there's Shang-Chi little golden books. <laughs> So you were wrong. It's, I, I was so wrong. It's been wonderful to see this thing that I've been fascinated by since I was very small becoming a pretty gigantic thing in culture. I love seeing it. I love seeing what it's turned into. And I can't wait for what's next. Thank you so much for joining me, Douglas. Thank you, Kelly. This was delightful. Douglas Woke is the author of All of the Marvels, a journey to the ends of the biggest story ever told, an all-encompassing, exhaustive look at the world of Marvel Comics. It's our November selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club, and is available in bookstores and online now. That's it for this week's show. We're on the web at gbh.org news, under the radar with Callie Crossley, and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubley and engineered by Dave Goodman. Sarah Kaplan is our intern. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.